You're listening to a message preached at Front Range Baptist Church by Pastor Dean Miller. It is our prayer that this message will be a help and an encouragement to you in your spiritual walk. Now, here's Pastor Miller. All right, well, let's, uh, let's go to prayer, and then we're going to open up to um, Proverbs chapter 2 for just a few minutes, and then we'll go to prayer, okay? Father, we are so grateful for the opportunity to meet tonight, and Lord, just to hear the praises of your people and how good you have been to us. Lord, we, uh, we have so many, so many blessings. Lord, I'm reminded of that old hymn, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord hath done. Lord, we're so prone to, to think on things that uh, are, are the negatives, are the discouragements, and yet, Lord, life is filled with those. But in the, in the midst of all of that, there are the blessings that come from knowing you, the things that you so graciously bestow on us. Lord, even on the just and the unjust, people today who do not know you, Lord, you've been so kind to them. And I pray that we would, um, Lord, be admonished some from the testimonies tonight, that we would be faithful witnesses. And Lord, that we would carry the good news of Jesus Christ with us everywhere we go. Thank you for the opportunity to open your word tonight. I pray you'll speak to our heart. And then, Lord, bind our hearts with yours and with one another as we go to prayer in just a few minutes. And I pray that we would really be a church fervently, expectantly, and, and righteously beseeching you for help. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Proverbs chapter 2. Uh, we're going to kind of piggyback on what Michelle just spoke about. In her testimony, the world is looking for answers for emotional help. And um, we, we have been going through the last few weeks on how to help our children and our wives and our husbands and create an environment in our home that protects the emotional um, side of life. And, you know, people today are dealing with depression. We're dealing with anxiety in record numbers. People are um, almost... Um, having a sense of just feeling as, as though there's a hopelessness and a victim, um, a victim mentality that the world is just a pressure cooker and uh, they're under all of these, these pressures of life. We talked about the last few weeks what uh, modern day psychologists have termed uh, ACEs or adverse childhood experiences um, and some of these are, are extreme cases that kids are going through today with divorce um, with abuse, uh, both physical abuse, verbal abuse, sexual abuse, uh, neglect, uh, children left to themselves. You know, the Bible talks about children who are left to themselves bring their mothers to shame. And um, we have a generation that are, are raising themselves. They're raising themselves through media and, and uh, being babysat by technology in a lot of cases. Um, maybe it's an adverse childhood experience of somebody experiencing illness, maybe a parent with cancer or a sibling with cancer, or maybe that child with cancer uh, of some type of major illness. Um, and uh, we, we, we've noticed that uh, with studies on this, that kids who go through some of these adverse childhood experiences, they have a tendency to abuse uh, drugs and alcohol. They have a tendency to make um, worse life decisions and complicate things even more in their own lives. And so um, really it comes back to homes being what uh, God intended them to be. And I am not ashamed 
that our family has followed a biblical model of a home with a husband and a wife um, living out the roles that God set out. I don't think that my wife feels inferior to me. She doesn't feel like it's been, um, you know, some um, uh, man who is suppressing her and putting her down. And uh, we just we've heard all of these terms today that uh, the world has conjured up of uh, uh, that, that make the differences between the sexes as some evil type of thing. And I want to tell you, God made men and women different. Uh, he made us different. And why did he make men and women different? He made us different so he could make us one. And when he brings us together as a husband and a wife in the roles that God has made for us, um, me being the head of our home, biblically and spiritually, does not make my wife subservient to me or under my foot. In fact, the Bible elevates women in a great way. And uh, my wife is superior to me in so many ways. In fact, one of the ways she's superior to me is at being a woman. She is much greater at being a woman than I am. And I'm thankful for that. I'm so grateful that uh, I married a woman and one that knows how to be a woman. And she has been uh, the ideal for our home. And, uh, and so our homes are really in trouble. My, my wife sent me a, a clip uh, the other day. She sent me a, a little video of, uh, of Billy Graham preaching back in the 1970s, talking about the, um, the rise in the divorce rate after the whole sexual revolution of the 1960s and 70s, the rise in the divorce rate. And he was making the prophecy that he said, there is coming in this generation perhaps this, such a devaluation of the home that maybe there won't even be homes uh, in our lifetime. And boy, I'm looking around and I'm seeing people cohabitate under the same roof, but I wouldn't necessarily call it a home. People live in that house, but it's not necessarily a home. What makes a home? Well, the Lord makes a home. God makes a home. He created the first home and he made the home and we want to walk in his ways. And I really believe that God set up the home with a husband and a wife, mothers and fathers in their roles, husbands and wives loving each other, Mothers and fathers loving their children and training their children and raising their children. And when we do it God's way, we build a fortress, a defense, not only physically, but spiritually and emotionally in our homes. And we can protect them from so much of what's going on in the world. I, I'm looking, I, I look back at my life and I'm so grateful for the Christian upbringing and the home that my mom and dad provided for us as children. I walked in so much security. I didn't realize how much security I had. I really believed that I was growing up in Mayberry. Had no idea that I was living in a Mayberry home in the middle of Sodom and Gomorrah. I had no idea until I got out. I thought everybody had a home like we did. And then I realized very few had a home like I grew up in. And I'm so grateful for my parents. And uh, we've wanted to do that for our children. And there's a fortress. And I said this last week, but I'm so grateful that there's a multi-generational group in our church who are here for these lessons. And the reason for it is because some of you are raising children. How many of you are currently raising children? All right, you're currently raising children. How many of you, all of your children are out of the house? All right, amen. And how many of you are in that elite club of grandparents? Your grandparents now, okay? Um, and so one of the great things that I, I've been encouraged by teaching these lessons to this, to this group is it's so practical for those of you that are raising children. But it's also very, very informational and helpful to those of you who are beyond that, that you can speak into the life of your adult children 
And also, you can help others in our church, uh, the biblical model of the older teaching the younger. And we need that in our churches today. Can I, can I just tell you, um, I, I, wished I, I wish I had some younger men in here tonight, but, but I, I want to tell you what I've seen in, in the last 70 years in this nation. Uh, for so long, um, uh, you would see this generation, an older generation, and the older generation, let me, let me borrow, Bryce, I don't want to put you on the spot, but let me borrow you for just a second, all right? Um, um, so, Bryce, you're younger than me, right? Here, come up here and stand right there. Uh, for years and years and years, we've seen f- generational truths of, of an older generation living life, understanding how life works, maturing, growing, and then passing that wisdom to the next generation, and we've seen that work in this country for, for decades of older generations passing on wisdom. And what we've seen in the last 30 or 40 years, we've seen a shift of the younger generation turning to the older generation and telling them what we want. And you know, I, I, think it's even, I think it's even safe to say, as a pastor, I can say this with, I think, with a lot of confidence that in, even in our churches and in so-called Christian homes, oftentimes, kids are in charge. And some of us want to be deeper theology. We want to go, we want to study the Word of God. And our kids are not being raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We're growing in information, but we're not passing on those values and those truths to our children. And our kids are in charge. And they're, they're, they're not behaved. They don't, they're not disciplined. They don't understand, they don't understand character traits and qualities. They're not being taught that. They're in charge. And what they want goes. And I see that as a pastor more times than not. Through my 20 years of pastoring, I've seen children in charge of the homes. And can I tell you, parents are supposed to be in charge of the home. <laughs> and this whole generation of, well, why? Because I said so. That's why. And, you know, that, that seems to be harsh parenting in these days. We've become so soft and so sensitive. And can I tell you, our softness and our sensitivity has created an open door to, to uh, all the pressures of life and into our children's lives. And then when they get hit with harsh realities, they don't know how to deal with it emotionally. And we're seeing the consequences of that in a generation. Instead of one generation handing down what they've learned about marriage, what they've learned about work, what they've learned about money, what they've learned about life, wisdom and experience and knowledge, we're letting the younger generation tell us what they want. And that is totally backwards from the way God intended it to be. All right, thanks, Bryce, for helping. Uh, and so we've been talking about this, uh, and I've given you a couple things. A few weeks ago, I gave you what do kids need? Uh, what do our homes need to protect uh, emotionally? Well, first of all, they need a godly example. Uh, the whole idea of doing what I say and not what I do, that, that destroys confidence. It destroys security. It, it destroys uh, the ability to trust and that leaves open doors and it can wound our children in, um, in bad ways. And, and, and this, is, this is parents demonstrating um, the godly example in front of their kids, living it out. And I, give, I gave you a verse in Proverbs 20 and verse 7 where the, the just man walketh in his integrity and his children follow after him. Uh, where are our kids going to learn uh, the character traits that we went over the last few weeks of, of contentment? Uh, if, you, if you had to look at your own children, 
and, and ask the question, how content are they? Are they able to self-satisfy? You know, that's, that's, what, that's what the word contentment in the Bible really is. It's to be self-sufficient. Paul said, Paul said I'm, a, I'm able to be satisfied from what's within me, not with what's just around me. I've been in whatever state I'm in. I've learned to be content in prison. I have the Lord with me. And he wrote that. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. The Lord is at hand. Paul, Paul had his self-sufficiency not in everything that was around him, but by what was in him. Contentment is a character quality that we've got to pass on. Godliness with contentment is great gain. I mean, we live in a very discontented society. People don't have the means within them to supply their basic needs, uh, even emotionally or spiritually. And so what do they do? They're looking for everything externally. They're looking for drugs, alcohol, sex, money, everything outside to satisfy. And none of that satisfies. And we need to teach and cultivate contentment in our homes. And I believe that we as Christians oftentimes are some very discontented people. Um, and we, we've got to pass that on to our children, contentment. We, and I won't go through that whole list that we've been through the last few times. You can go back and listen to them. But where are they going to learn those things of self-control? Being able to discipline self. Um, tact and thankfulness and tidiness and wisdom. Where do they learn that? Well, they learn it. Not through authoritarian rule, but they learn it through godly example. Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 3, 9, not because we have not power. We have authority. We have power to speak into your life, whatever we want to tell you. God's given us the power to do that. We've, we have the right and the authority to tell you what to do. But Paul said, not because we have power, but to make ourselves examples unto you to follow us. And man, that's a powerful lesson for parents. Your children are watching you. And we need to be godly examples. And then we talked about last week, again, just very quickly, unconditional love. Unconditional love. Unconditional love gives a child everything they need, not everything they want. Unconditional love makes the child understand that they are accepted in the family. They're accepted. I may not accept what you're doing, but I accept you. I'm angry at what you've done, or I'm upset with what you've done, or I'm against what you've done, but I love you. And, and you can cut it that thin. Uh, we don't discipline in wrath and anger. The wrath of man, James said, the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. We do more harm when we correct, even if we're, if we're morally right on the subject, and we correct our children because they did wrong, but we do it in anger, we've damaged that. You cannot correct bad behavior with bad behavior. And so we have to unconditionally love uh, that child needs to understand that I may not accept what you've done, but I accept you and I love you and I'm willing to stand in and speak into your life against what you're doing because I love you. And that opens up the opportunities for your children to come back and, and tell you things that they, they, they feel like they can come and tell you anything because you accept them, that they're loved and safe and secure um, no matter what they've done. Um, unconditional love is not only just exception, acceptance, but it's affection. Man, we need to show some affection. We need, to, we need to put our arms around our kids. Even your big old teenage boy needs that hug, and they may stiffen and act like they don't like it, but they need it, and uh, they need that. And they need to see mom and dad every once in a while uh, just hug and kiss in the kitchen. And uh, they need to see that affection, and that a family can be affectionate. You know, it's, it's so sad. I, I have a, I have a, a thing. I, I was going to share it last week, and I didn't just for sake of time. But 
and I've left it in my office tonight, but James Dobson wrote a, a, a really good article on homes that lack affection. That oftentimes children will confuse as they grow older, they'll confuse love um, with sexual love with the touch and so forth. And they, they don't understand that, that affection and not just uh, sexual passion is expressed through touching. And uh, a lot of times it can create in them a sense of, um, of promiscuousness, a, you know, looking and seeking, that kind of thing, but in, in behavior that's not righteous and not godly. Simply because in our homes, we didn't, we didn't physically hug and put our hands on and, and uh, man, make sure that you do that. Uh, I'll tell you, it's, it's, it's been a blessing as my kids have gotten older to see some of the fruit of, of those things. And we weren't perfect parents by a long shot. But we tried to be very affectionate with our kids. And um, here just a while back, Deanna came, Deanna came to, with Anders uh, during spring break. And I was at home and sitting on the couch. And my wife had Anders. And she was holding Anders. And Deanna just came and sat in my lap. And, uh, and she just sat there. And it was just the three, just the three of us all Googling over Anders, but, uh, but just the, the fact that my, you know, a grown daughter felt comfortable enough to just come and sit down in dad's lap, and that was okay, and it was common, and there was nothing inappropriate about that whatsoever, but it's just affection that, that is displayed, and that's unconditional love in the home. Um, then we talked about constant encouragement. What do kids need? What, what protects our emotions? Constant encouragement. Constant encouragement. And we looked at Proverbs 3, 21 through 26. Uh, you know, we ask our Heavenly Father to bless us all the time. But let me tell you, encouragement from an earthly dad is a blessing. When parents speak into life, encouragement is like water to a plant. Um, encouragement to a kid is like water to a plant. It causes them to sprout and to grow strong. And uh, I said last week, make sure you catch them doing right, not just catch them doing wrong, and point that out. Man, I saw what you did. I'm so thankful for that. Uh, and, and that's not confusing encouragement with praise. Oftentimes we'll praise them over their achievements, and sometimes our kids can start thinking that they're only accepted because of what they can do and how they perform. And that's not at all. Um, what we want them to understand. We want them to understand that we, we see the value in who they are and uh, them as a person, not just in their accomplishments. You may not have all straight-A students in your home. You might have a child that struggles academically. But that kid that gets all the A's and gets five bucks for every A and the kid who's coming home working hard, pulling down C's, and they feel like they're second class, that's, that's not right. You need to see the work that they're putting in and make sure that they're really putting their nose to the grindstone and giving it the best they've got. And if the best they've got is C, then, man, that's great. And we need to encourage them. Uh, they need encouragement. And then number four tonight. Look at Proverbs chapter 2 very quickly. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1. My son, if thou wilt receive... Now, this is a dad talking to his son. If thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding... Yea, if thou criest after knowledge and liftest up the, head, the voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver and searchest uh, for her as for hid treasures, then, and you know what I love about this? I love that there's a parent who's putting an expectation on a child. Putting an expectation. If you'll do this, 
then this will happen. But you have to put some work into this. You have to have your heart into this. You have to have a heart open to receive what I'm telling you. You have to have ears that are listening to what I'm telling you. I have to have your attention. You have to give me your attention. You have to pay attention. We call it paying attention because it costs you something. You have to push everything else out and give attention. You know, we, we, we talk about attention deficit disorder in our society today. And, uh, and, and I'm not saying that that doesn't exist, and I'm not saying that some kids don't need some help with that, but I want to tell you, I think we've, we've given a lot of kid, kids a pass just simply because we, they, we won't make them listen. And I think parents need to take time to get down on their level, make them look in the eye, say it to them, look at me, look at me, look at me. We're not going anywhere until you look at me, listen to what I'm telling you. This is what you're going to do. Now, what did I say? You, know, you said to pick up my room. That's exactly right. Now, you go pick up your room. And, and I think... Uh, this is a dad saying, these are the things that you have to come to the table with. There's an expectation on you. If you do this, then, look at verse 5, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Well, you talk about a huge responsibility in parenting. The Bible talks about later in the book of Proverbs that when you chasten your child, you can save their soul from hell. Now, what in the world does discipline in the home have to do with eternal salvation? I'll tell you exactly what the Bible says right here. If a child won't listen to you, his earthly father, and never seek for your wisdom, he's never going to seek for God. He's saying, if you listen to me, then you're going to find the knowledge of God. You're going to seek the Lord. And, and the Bible says very clearly, if, if you chasten your children, you discipline your children, you'll save their soul from hell. Well, why is that? Because they learn the consequences of sin. They learn that they are a sinner, that they've done wrong, that there is a judge that stands between right and wrong in their life and is willing to, to stand in that place and to bring the charge. You did wrong, and you're going to pay for that. And that's a healthy fear of God in their life. I'm glad that my God is a holy God. And to know the law of God means that I know that I'm a sinner. And because I'm a sinner, I need to seek his salvation. But children that just get by with anything and everything think that they, they, they get the idea that, well, God's a pushover. I'll do whatever I want. And I'll talk my way out of it. When I get to the judgment seat, I'll just talk my way out of it. I do that with mom. I do that with dad. And he's saying here, if you do this, then this is what happened. Watch verse number six. For the Lord giveth wisdom. Out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. He layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. He is a buckler or a guard or a shield to them that walk uprightly. Listen. This is Solomon living out Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, remember, the book of Proverbs is a book of principles, not promises. We thank God for that. There's been a lot of kids, there have been a lot of children who've been raised right but departed from it. But the Bible gives us a principle here that the training of a parent, the training of a parent, the training of a parent, it's not just teaching, it's training. It's training. You think about how you think about how these guys, you know, my son-in-law Walker, he trains hunting dogs. And I'm gonna tell you that the 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 rigor and the routine that goes into the training of those dogs. I, I meet people, you know, I've I've met met a guy at Shields one time, and he was a, he's a he's a world-class dog trainer. And I thought, man, I wonder if he does that much with his kids. You know, a lot of people, man, they take their dogs out, train their dogs, they do all kinds of things with the dog, and then, you know, they tie the dog up at night and let the kids roam. 
the Bible says train them up in the way they should go. It's not just teaching. I can teach my kids something, and then somebody else can teach them something different. There's a difference between teaching and training. And here, he's giving wise instruction. This is the point tonight, wise instruction. Wise instruction is not just information. Wise instruction, listen to this, we're going to be finished in a second. Wise instruction is always joined to training. There is, a, there is now, it's, 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 it's a coach who, who gets in the, in the locker room and he gets on the blackboard or the whiteboard and he writes out the plays and he tells them the scheme and tells them what we're going to accomplish. But then they go out on the field and they drill and they drill and they drill and they drill. No, 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 you're not doing that right. Get your hands up. Get your feet out. Get down. Get your hands up. Get your head up. You can't go in like that. You're going to break your neck. Get your head up. Now move. You've got to shuffle. You've got to fire off the line. What's that coach doing? He's saying, here's what we're going to do, and we're going to train it. 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 You know, some of us don't train our kids. We just, they, they annoy us. We're like, no, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. We tell them a million times. But we never stop to train that out. It takes time, it takes energy, it takes coaching, it takes intentionality, it takes discipline. It takes focus from a parent to say, this is how you're going, this is what we're going to teach you, and we're going to train this. You're going to hear my instruction, you're going to hear my instruction, you're going to hear my instruction over and over and over and over again. And you start thinking sometimes when they're three and four and five and six and seven, when are they going to learn this? It takes time, it takes energy, it takes effort. That's why God gave kids to, to, to young parents. That's why grandparents should not have to raise their kids. That's why you shouldn't have to be a parent to your kids when they're 30. You should be able to be a friend and enjoy their fellowship. Because we did all the work down here. I'm telling you something. You know, you, you ever, I love to watch sports and I love, I love to watch big games. And there are, times, there are times that I'm watching a game as a fan and I am in pieces. I am a nervous wreck. And they show the coach, and the coach is just standing there, calm, cool, and collected. You know why? Because they've gone over this play a thousand times. They've trained for this moment. And it's kind of funny to me when you see parents bring their kids into a public setting and the kids can't behave. And they're responding like, stop it, stop it, stop it. Well, listen, there should have been training a long time before you ever, they got to this part. We should have been training for this. They should have been ready for school. They should have been ready for going to that. that, that they, being at the event is not the time to do all the teaching. Because now what you're doing is you're actually doing it for you and not for them. You're doing it to save face and not to change the heart of the child. And so this is wise instruction, wise instruction. Let me tell you some parents, how do we do this wise instruction? Well, you have to have a family time together. You have to have time together to, to worship the Lord together. Um, you, have to, you have to take time. You know, if a coach is going to win, you've got to make a practice time, right, Brother Jason? You have a practice time. You've got to have a time to get them there, and you have to have a plan when you get them there, what you're going to go over in that course of, of that time that you've got. Parents, we've got to take time where we're not just scrolling. We're eye to eye. We're not just all, they're not just, not just leave me alone and go play your games. There's got to be a time as a family we get together and we go through things. One of the things that we did that was so helpful, when, uh, when, when, when Deanna hit about 13 years old, man, I started getting scared as a parent because the stakes became really high. And uh, they were always high, but I was just recognizing it. 
And uh, you ever have those moments with your kids, the scary moment? Like, oh, no. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm behind. And uh, I'll tell you what we did. We just started going through the book of Proverbs. In the mornings, we would read a proverb. I found a little video that just read the Proverbs, and it showed pictures, Bible story pictures that match that proverb. And we would sit in the living room early in the mornings, and the girls would eat breakfast, and they would watch that whatever day it was. If it was the 6th of May, we would watch Proverbs 6. And every proverb, it would show a Bible story that matched that proverb. And, man, it was a wonderful thing. And I I remember... I remember... um, we had a really hard time getting Deanna out of bed. And in one of, those, in one of those Proverbs that we were going through, and we were going through Proverbs now every month. They were repeating these every month. And we were, I mean, Deanna was at the age of 13. You know, I don't know what happens when kids turn 13, but they die when they go to bed. And they need like, they need like literally, there's 24 hours in a day, and they need 24 hours and five minutes of sleep. And I mean, they just sleep forever. And we, we had such a hard time getting her up. And uh, one of the things that would, would play every month when we get to the, it was about the slothful man, the sluggard. And one of the pictures it would show on there is this parent trying to get their kid out of bed. And I remember Deanna one time after we'd seen that a couple times, and I remember it just kind of clicked with her one day. And I remember walking into her room and I said, Deanna, it's time to get up, man. She was up. She gave me a hug. And I started getting ready. And that was totally out of her character. <laughs> it was not at all what she had been. I thought, man, what's gotten into her? Well, I think wisdom was getting in. And, uh, and, just, and just laying those groundworks from the word of God, you have to have time to do it. The prime educational institution is the home. The prime educational institution is the home. And uh, kids need to know the difference between right and wrong. I hear parents all the time say, man, I, well, they need to put the Ten Commandments back in the public school. Well, let me ask you a question. Do you, have the, do you have the Ten Commandments in your home? As a parent right now, could you tell me the Ten Commandments? If I had to ask you, what's, what, what, list the Ten Commandments, could you do it? And we as Christians say, you know, they need to put those commandments back in the public school. And many of us don't even have them in our home. We've never gone over them with our kids of what God demands in our lives. One of the things that I'm planning down the road is uh, in one of our building phases, I've got a beautiful monument picked out with the Ten Commandments, and we're going to publicly display them on our property. We're going to have a monument for the Ten Commandments. We're going to have a lit up, and we're going to put it right out in front of everybody that there is a God, and he has a law. And if we break his law, um, that we, we, get the, we get the consequences of that. And thank God, thank God that Jesus came to fulfill that law for us, Right? And uh, to live that law out through us. Uh, but we're going we're gonna to put that prominently. Uh, because we need, to be, we need to be teaching that to our children. They need wise instructions. How do we, how do we protect our kids emotionally? Through wise instruction. Uh, taking time to teach them and train them. I want to tell you, uh, I played sports through high school. And you have to look very hard to find stronger relationships outside of the home stronger relationships than the bond between player and coach. You know why so many kids love their coaches and respect their coaches? Because the coach took time to say, no, we're going to do it this way, do it this way. And then when the game goes on, the coach is always going, man, you did it. You did it. 
And that's, that's the parent-child relationship. Take the time to train them, train them, train them, train them. And then when they perform it, man, praise the Lord for you. I'm so proud of what God did in your life and how you, how you were obedient and the character that you have in your life. This, it's so important. You talk about emotional guarding. Uh, those will help you a long way. Okay.